In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Or check whoop ass. Get your hands up. Get ready to go. go. Ready, break. Come get some, bitch. Now get LB, with your coaches. LB. Good morning, Cleveland. It's a victory Monday. And I'm here in sunny Ohio. And I'm also here with Jack Duffin and Ian Right, Right, Right. Jack, how are you feeling after that victory? So good. Um, it was great to get that monkey off our back and just be like, this is it. We're rolling. It was a messy game, but... The Bengals were more messy than us. And, that, and at the end of the day, I would rather win every week than we're talking about how well we played and we lost. So, uh, win's a win, and it felt fucking amazing. Awesome. Ian, how do you feel? I mean, we're just a bunch of elves, I guess. You know, I, I'm not yeah. sure if Jamar didn't see the elf on the field last year. I needed clarification. I was like, wait a minute. Is he calling our guys short? Because, Jamar, you're not very tall. Here's the thing about the Browns. The same old Browns from the past. If you're going to talk to shit, then you got to back it up when they beat you. Because back in the days, we couldn't beat these teams, right? Now, we're going to be able to clap back. However, fans, just be aware. I know Miles is Garrett's doing crossovers and having some fun. There's going to be an offense that's going to hang 30 of us, and they're going to talk shit back. This is how the NFL works. Take a little, give a little. Take a little, give a little. But when you beat a division opponent, that counts for two. And the Bengals just eating an entire dish of shit sandwiches was fucking amazing, to quote Jack Duffin. I, I think one point that I liked, because Watson was asked about the Steelers next week after the game, and rather than like what Jamar Chase have said of like clapping at the other team, he just said, look, we hate them, they hate us. And it's like, let's go. Or, or something as simple as that. And it's like, you can still put the emotion out there without being a dick. And... um if anything, I'd much rather you operate that way because there's no bulletin material. Whereas as soon as the game was done, Greg Newsom tweeting, Cleveland is Cleveland. And uh, then Joe K following up. And I'm sure plenty of the other players were, but th- there was that extra little 1%. And it's not talking about it's going to stop a bad player being a, a good player or something like that. But there is no need to motivate the other team. Whereas if another team picks up the report that Watson said, we hate them, they hate us. And that, no one's going to be extra animated from that. Uh, Jack, that's a really good point, actually. Greg Newsom, he's probably listening to the uh, show because he is a friend of the show now. Big fan. Who doesn't know Paul Brown? Yeah, so uh, if you didn't know, uh, I never posted this, but I'll let the podcast listeners know. Uh, Greg Newsom sent me a personal message saying thank you very much, a video message saying thank you very much for uh, supporting the Browns. and uh, Thanks for travelling across the pond. So, Really nice guy, and uh, yeah, I look forward to Greg uh, listening to the show going forward. Well, Greg, if you're out there, just know that I'm not too far from where you grew up here in Chicago, so if you want to come by for an in-studio interview, I got you, fam. Awesome. Um, guys, here's a question on my lips. Were we great, or were the Bengals really bad? We were better than their bad. 
so you'll probably be able to talk to us better on what happened with the weather pool being in the stadium. But the reports are that it was more like a, a thin mist rather than like your downpour of rain. And that caused problems for everyone. There was people sliding around, whether it was David Bell, Amari Cooper nearly had a nasty injury because of the weather. You saw his legs slide out. It was, that looked like it could have been a lot worse than it ended up being. Um, but no one was having a good time. We had uh, Deshaun Watson going live after the game with his coach. Um, I, I, God knows what outlet it's called. But that was talking about how he came in at halftime, was dehydrated, got straight on an IV, felt much better. It was just all the reports were it was weird, and it certainly impacted. There is no way Joe Burrow is the 32nd best QB in the league, but that's where he ranked um, yesterday. That's Go on, was. take the money and run. Woo! $275 million so, so go, to move to the bottom. Here, here we go, guys. Should, should I do weather, offense, defense, and then a report of weekend being in Cleveland. How does that work? Why don't we why don't we go chronological? Start us off, give us a vibe for the Muni lot, who you were with, then we'll move into the stadium and then we'll talk about the game. But you know, we'll keep it too because let's be honest, people want to know what the hell Paul Brown did and how the hell he ended up with a freaking Super Bowl winning assistant coach, a former Premier League goalkeeper, and arguably one of the most notable defensive minds in the NFL in the last 25 years. So Paul Take it away. Tell the people what they want to know about the UK shorts of Paul Brown in the Muni lot with NFL dignitaries. Yeah, I'll start the weekend by saying I was arrived in Cleveland four o'clock Saturday morning, went 10 o'clock down to the Muni lot, had a shot, met some of the guys, uh, then went and watched the soccer, the Ohio State game, went to Pioneer, Pioneer Wings, very, very good wings. Highly recommend them if you come to Cleveland. And then in the evening, I went back to the Muni lot till about midnight, one o'clock, then went home drinking, up at six, to the uh, Muni lot for seven o'clock. And there I was meeting uh, Thomas Sorison, the goalkeeper, ex-Premier League goalie, and Blake Williams. Obviously, I said to Blake, your dad and brother are welcome to join as well. And then at nine o'clock, there he was, Blake and Greg, uh, Blake, we had a few beers. Greg was on the old water. We're just chilling out at Larry's bus outside, meeting fans, very humble guys, having a great time. We then, about 10.30, walked across to the other side to meet uh, Big Dave, Clay, and Reflog, an old friend of mine. Um, they invited me, Blake, and Greg to go on the show. It, we ended up just, Greg going on the show is just easier. There's only one mic available. And then, um, yeah, we stayed with each other till about 12.30. And then Greg and Blake went back to uh, Bria, where they live, uh, and watched the game at home. Uh, just to be really clear, Blake and Greg didn't want to disrupt, disrupt the Browns in any way and had no plans of going to the stadium that day. So that was kind of the uh, headlines uh, before the game. Any questions, guys, about that? All makes sense to everybody except Jack, who's never been to a Browns game in Cleveland. Come on, Ian. Don't be nasty. That's not nice. I'm just pointing um, out facts here, Paul. Look, we're now an analytical show, but that's what analytic we don't need to talk about. Um, but yeah, went into the stadium and it started to rain. Now, the, the rain didn't feel very much, but it was getting into my clothes quite quickly. So it didn't, it wasn't an annoying rain, like 
Um, I wasn't soaked, but it was it was definitely getting into my jacket quite quickly. So by the end of the first quarter, my jacket was a heavy lump of water, rain. And I think in the second quarter, we noticed the rain changed direction and it was coming in from the lake. Everyone was looking on their phone saying, the only bit of rain in Ohio right this second is over the stadium. And it just seems to be sitting here very frustratingly. Uh, it was wet all the way through the game. I was soaked. I was miserable because of the actual wetness in my jacket. But I was loving every minute of it. It looked like that rain kind of hugged around most of the East Coast. I mean, for obviously the U.S. people that watched the Giants and the Cowboys last night, it rained throughout the entire game. You know, there was weather de- delays for some of the college games. It, it, hearing you say that, Paul, kind of makes sense. I was up in Wisconsin for the weekend. So hearing that this rain kind of just hovered around the East Coast, whether it was the Patriots, the Giants, you know, all of these games were affected by rain. And I think if you look across the league, there wasn't any huge like fantasy numbers outside of the Chargers Dolphins game, which is obviously played in, you know, perfect weather. So it's ironic that you say that because on TV, you're right. It looked like it was one of those gray haze kind of days, 70 degrees. But, you know, hearing that you're getting wet that quick just tells you, I think, kind of the density of that mist that was out there. Yeah, I would use the word mist, to be honest. Mist is something that's a bit light and annoying. This was this was rain, um, but once again, it wasn't. It felt like just like it wasn't heavy rain. It was just just getting to you, yeah, getting through my clothes. And um, it was really interesting. Before the game, we had on the screen. I don't know if you heard about this. We had a lake warning countdown. So I'm guessing they do that when they make a final decision if they're going to play the game or delay the game. So um, there was a lake warning countdown when we got into the stadium hmm it's interesting because you know and jack we talked a little bit about it now going into the game but you know burrow being the 32nd uh ranked quarterback for the week maybe it's me but jack you've you've never played football a day in your life have you ever thrown a football kicked a football anything yeah not very successfully okay so if you were going into a game with a quarterback who had played no preseason games, who was coming off of a calf injury in this type of weather, would you not utilize a running back at all? Zach Taylor, anybody? Just that, but they couldn't just, it, it was shocking how they just couldn't get anything going on that side of the ball. Obviously, as you said, they should have run more, but even when they were running, it just wasn't working. Um, and hey, that's a joy. The, the performance from this defense was incredible they were everywhere um and it's one that lots of people were saying hey with this Bengals passing attack Thornhill out there was panic um and it was rife if you looked on Twitter you looked anywhere there was panic and it was like hey we're fine um and then not only that they followed it up and they really really delivered so I was really impressed and I think all round um really solid display which keeping Joe Burrow in his box is no easy feat. And, and they obviously weren't prepared. They was throwing off his gloves. They weren't sure what to do um, in terms of equipment on that side of the ball. Yeah, but what was odd is, is and they come out in the first quarter and it was like, if I'm not mistaken, they went pass, 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 pass. They, I think they threw four straight passes before they tried to run, you know, Chris Evans. 
and then they went back and got sacked. It was like in the first drive, their their pass to run ratio was like six to one. So I almost feel like they didn't even go out and try to establish it. Now again, we're, we're going to talk about this. Ninety five and ninety nine are going to be a problem. They're going to be a problem for a lot of teams. And but here's the thing: the Bengals have spent all of this money on this offensive line. And how many Bengals fans are in your mentions like, bro? Our offensive line is like so much more upgraded. We're like the best team in the AFC now. Well, if that's the case. Like it just game plan wise, Stefanski, I thought had the right game plan. So when we want to talk about coaching, Stefanski outcoached the shit out of Zach Taylor. He, I mean, it wasn't even close. It was a monumental coaching ass whooping from Kevin Stefanski to Zach Taylor. And that's a benefit to see. We've seen in the past where, oh, adjustments aren't right. Prep wasn't right. And they, yeah, as you said, they absolutely dominated every aspect of the game, both sides of the ball, solid on the special teams. Um, yeah, it, it, it was nuts. It, it was one of those ones where it's end of the first quarter, it's it's 0-0, right? And it's like, all right, teams are struggling trying to get here. So it's not like the Bengals didn't hold serve. And realistically, if the Browns had gotten down 10 nothing, we'd have saw that Bengals pass rush, right? So the game played out. First half, second half, exactly how Jim Schwartz would want. Keep it close. You know, let's get a couple shots on Burrow. Let's try to keep this run game in check. Then the Browns had the nice drive to finish out that second quarter on offense. And it was like, all right, now we're up two scores. We can start running these exotic type of blitzes. We can put Miles Garrett. And I know the, I don't think PFF's out at the time that we're recording this. But at the end of the day, like Miles Garrett's lined up as a linebacker. So if you really want to talk about some unique fronts and stuff, they played right into Jim Schwartz's hand. And Blake talked about this in the thing. They're going to run these exotic formations. They're going to move guys around. You're going to see things you normally didn't see. And when you got 99 coming from the other side, now they're stacking them where Miles is inside against the guard and Zadarius is coming from the outside. It, it was just one of those ones where I think Zach Taylor definitely did not put his players in position to succeed. And the Browns defense harvested on it and they said fine you want to do this shit we're just gonna knock you in the mouth the entire second half and the Bengals could not get going I mean they were stuck in cement uh guys should we get our usual format in process and look at the offense first and defense I think I started with the defense because they were just they were so good I mean hold the Bengals at three points I guarantee it right now the Bengals do not score less than three points for the rest of the season this will be the lowest output offense they have all year, and it won't even be close. Uh, I've got to say, I thought, I thought Emerson had a great game. I mean, defensively, I think there was a lot of players. I mean, MJ, MJ Emerson, I thought, played well. Denzel Ward, for all the talk going in, and he played like a number one corner. So you got Emerson playing well. You got Ward playing well. Newsom still searching for his first interception, but we love you, Greg. The corners... Man press. Let's go. Press man, man press, whatever you want to call it. They were up there. Let's go. Who's the fucking elf now, Jamar Chase? It was flawless. And I think that is that is the right word. It was everywhere across the board. Everyone was great. And that is so promising to see because it's not one where we're talking about, hey, Miles Garrett's carrying the D-line. Someone, uh, Denzel Ward's carrying the DBs. And Anthony Walker's the only thing that's holding together the linebacker room. Everyone was great. And long may that continue. It's not going to be this good every week. 
But I, I, I'm sat there going, well, the floor for this unit is like top eight. And if we're talking about that's the floor potentially for the season, that's a really, really nice spot to be. In. Yeah. I, I think if we're talking defense, you mentioned MJ Emerson. I want to give another shout out. Grand Delpit. I thought Grant Delpit played very, very well. Obviously, with Juan Thornhill being out, people wondered about eh, what's going on. What's going to go on with the safeties? I think Delpit led the team in tackles. He was aggressive around the box. I don't remember any egregious missed tackles, but I thought overall between Ward, between Delpit, I, we saw our boy Rodney McLeod out there. He was doing his thing. No, nothing too crazy, but that's good because if we're talking about McLeod, it's probably because he got beat. But Newsom, Emerson. Ward, that entire secondary, I thought played physical. They were in the pocket. They got Ward on that one kind of questionable PI where he grabbed him a little bit. I think, you know, you'll see that quite often. But yeah, I think Paul, your shot with MJ Anderson, Grandel put Denzel Ward, that secondary, they played out of their mind. Yeah, there was a really nice stat they kept putting up in the stadium, which said, um, I think it was 11 or 12. Uh, third down stops that the team made, which is like incredible. The Bengals were two of 15 on third down. Two of 15. Uh, 13. So it's 13 in the end, yeah? We had 13 third yes. stops. Wow. Yes. And and I mean, anytime, and listen, I don't need analytics to tell you, if you hold another team to 13% on third down, you're going to win that game. You're going to win the game, even with no turnovers. So overall, Jack, I mean, your boy, Okoronkwo, he got his first sack as a Brown, didn't take long. Joe Burrow thought he could outrun Miles Garrett being blocked by two guys. He was wrong, which I will say this. There's not many times that a picture will go as viral amongst Brown's Twitter as the one of Miles Garrett standing tall over a, a wilted Joe Burrow. But hat tip to whoever the photographer was. I know he's been getting tagged. So, but that was an incredible picture for an incredible moment watching two guys successfully be unable to stop Miles Garrett, who plowed through both of them, then pursued Burrow and dunked him. So straight up, it's 10 out of 10. I, I don't think there's gonna be any debate on what the uh unit is graded. Yeah. I mean 9.9 9 uh, out of 10. <laughs> Jack, Jack, watching just being a little bit. Watching back the replays, it looked like uh, when they were running with the ball, our defense didn't look 10 out of 10. What's your views on that? They only had, I think they only had 70 yards rushing as a team, and I think 40 of them came on one drive. I think they had the one, they had the one drive in the second quarter. They ripped off that 12 yarder, then the 22 yarder, and I think that was the drive they got their field goal, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there was a couple of runs, but I'm I'm not. No, that I wasn't wasn't concerned. Um, yeah. they they were amazing, and you're never going to stop a team completely. Um, if you're keeping a team to three, um, rushes, then that's it. All right, cool. Uh, Ian, what three. score are you going to go with? So, just so you know, on the Bengals' 14 offensive possessions. 12 of them, they were held to less than 20 yards, meaning no first downs or more than one. They had one drive in the third quarter that went six plays for 30 yards. They got them a field goal. And they had one drive in the first half in the second quarter that went five plays for 41 yards. Those were the two longest drives of the day. 
That's, I mean, that is defensive excellence. That is imposing your will on the other team. Jack's going 10, Paul's going 10. What are you going for, Ian? Uh, if we can't give decimal points to give room for just in the hope, I've, it's a 10. I mean, it's a 9.9, but that is one of the better defensive performances you will see on the season. And I think from if we're talking game balls, I think you're talking Miles Garrett. You're talking Grant Delpit. These are your guys. I can already tell the grades aren't out. I'm going to tell you, Grant Delpit's going to be high. Ward's going to be high. Emerson's going to be high. Garrett's going to be high. Um, the one name I didn't, okay. I I was just going to say, I didn't really hear any linebackers or, I mean, did Dalvin Tomlinson play? <laughs> I don't think he did because I didn't hear his name once. Tell me who started alongside Dalvin Tomlinson, Jordan Elliott. Jordan Elliott, yeah. But like, all right, so Dalvin Tomlinson in the entire game had one assist of a tackle. That's it. That's it. For all the people out there, $40 million, right? You needed a D tackle. That's what a D tackle stat line looks like. No tackles, one assist. So those are your guys. It's a team. Garrett. It's a team effort. Yep. Garrett, Zadarius Smith, uh, Okoronkwo, Delpit, Ward, and Emerson. I guarantee you those six guys are within your top eight. I can just tell you, I don't even need to see the grades. Just watch them play. And, and Jack, you tweeted last night, we've got money to extend Smith if it's the right thing. We'll yeah, get so to far. that. We'll get to that. Let's get to the offense before we start talking about contract extensions. There's an article coming out Wednesday where I look at what their budget is for the 2024 offseason. And uh, Zadarius Smith extension is certainly on the table. Won't happen until probably the off-season because you want to test the market, but he has a chance to be around here a bit longer. All right, cool. Well, we always like to plug the OBR, uh, Ian. So, uh, there, there we go. So, um, offense. Here yeah. we go. Ian, we're going to go out of 10. So, you, you score 24 points. We don't give sevens. It wasn't an eight, so I'm going to go with a six. I think a six is right. At the end of the day, it can get better, but it was functionable. And if we look at that first half where the Bengals couldn't even get a first down, the Browns were driving. And two important things happened. Nick Chubb, wide receiver one. Uh, Deshaun Watson, RB one. And that meant after the first quarter, I was safely in profit with both my bets. You did not misquote him when he just said Nick Chubb, wide receiver one, and Deshaun Watson, RB one. He he physically meant those. For all the people out there, no, Chubb's a... he meant it. He did. That was intentional. That, that was betting fantastic. Well, Loved it. And, and I think the offense, honestly, one of the reasons I give him a six is, you know, it in the first quarter, they had the one good drive, you know, where they were moving down the field and Watson kind of missed the handoff to Ford and that play just... It was one of those ones where it was a little high. He didn't get it settled. He was trying to move the ball too much. And then it ends up getting ripped out, I believe, inside the 30-yard line for the Bengals. So at least you're probably going to come away with a few points there. They then came back, got the field goal on the next drive. But the first half, I mean, the second quarter was pretty dismal up until that last touchdown drive. So there is a lot of room for improvement. And, you know, Deshaun Watson, I think, finished the game 16 of 29, I believe, was his... Uh, stat line. So a little bit over 50% completion rate. Some of those throws were not great. Then he turns around and was, who was the the receiver that made the catch? Was it people's Jones? The one where he put the ball just over Hilton yeah. on the sidelines. Phenomenal. Yeah. It's DPJ. 
Yeah. And, and that's an absolutely perfect throw. I mean, those are Rogers, you know, Brady Manning. Those are the throws they make. And then he comes back and, you know, skips a couple in there. So there's a lot of room for Deshaun Watson to get better. I thought Nick Chubb ran the ball hard. I thought the, he ran the ball good because we talk all, uh, uh, let me try this again. They, we talk uh, a lot about running efficiency, right? The three yards, you don't go two, 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 30, right? Mixon had 54 yards, but 34 of them came on two carries. Nick Chubb had 106 yards, but his longest was 17. So he was consistently getting these bigger chunks of yardage, which was moving the chains. So in terms of the running efficiency, I didn't see much out of Jerome Ford. Honestly, I thought he was probably, he's going to be at the bottom end. He left a lot of yards out there and then had the fumble. So he'll be one of the lower graded, but I thought overall running the ball, Chubb looked like he was in midseason form. Yeah, and it was an interesting one where there was less than one running back out there per snap. It was down at like 0.89, I think, um, tweeted out this morning. Um, but overall, they did what was asked for them. And to lose the turnover back by two and dominate the other team is pretty phenomenal. The turnover on Watson, he was throwing it exactly where he should have gone. The guy was absolutely wide open. Um, if you watch the playback, all 22. Um, which was always good to see, but it got tipped and it just went as it as it is. Obviously, that is a ball getting tipped is on the quarterback, um, but it wasn't like there was nothing Watson did where you were like, oh, we shouldn't have thrown that ball to that person. It's not the same mistakes where we might have seen from Baker in the past where he should not have thrown the ball anywhere near that area. It's more accuracy, weather-related issues, stuff like that, which... I would much rather be trying to clean up a bit of accuracy than trying to rework a quarterback's brain and going, you cannot throw this ball here because that's dangerous. So I, I, I think there is positive signs, but it's, it's go out there and prove it. Um, and it, hey, a Cam, Casey Haywoodless Steelers, hopefully, is a nice place to go next. Yeah, it was one of those ones where if you're Watson, right, if you're like, all right, what are the teachable moments on the interception? How often do we see quarterbacks do that pump fake to get that defender up in the air? And then they make that throw. You know, he had a little bit of time and, you know, it was a good play by the defender to get his hands on it. It was a slight tip. So watching it live, I was like, did he literally just throw it right to him? And then you kind of went back and saw the ball get tipped. But it's one of those things where the accuracy needs to come. But I keep reminding people, and I, I was talking about it in our chat this morning, Watson thrives on an out of structure game, right? The pocket passing, you're going to get the DPJ on the sidelines and you're going to get the one, two skip to my lose, right? Because he doesn't have the consistency in his fundamentals to be a pocket passer where he's making precision throws every time. Can he make those throws? Absolutely. We saw the throw to David Njoku in the preseason game. That was perfect. We saw the ball getting over Mike Hilton to Donovan Peoples-Jones on the sidelines. We see passes where you're like, wow, that is amazing. But in the same sense, you're going to see him hit a deep ball. Perfect. Then you're going to see him overthrow one by 10 yards. That's who Deshaun Watson is. So if he's going to hover around 55% completion, I'd like to get that closer to 60, maybe integrate some, you know, some easier passes and who knows, with a non-misty wet ball, maybe he completes upwards of 60%. But I think that's the magic number for me. Let's get Watson to 60%. I think Chubb, 15 to 20 carries. Ford, I may be bumping a couple off of him next time. I don't think he needs 15, but I understood most of them were late in the game. But yeah, it would be nice to see you know a little bit more balance in terms of 
moving the ball. It just seemed like at times the offense was getting stuck too. No, that's, I think that's a fair conclusion. I think I'm with you with six. There's room to improve. Um, of Paul, we had your prediction for the oh, well, prediction. You're great. Yeah, I think I think six is a fair number. There's one thing though, where I was I was sitting in the dog pound, and I saw, um, from Watson throw that interception. Uh, um, I don't know what you saw on the TV, but what I saw was. How the hell did he throw that interception? It was almost like it was a betting rig. It was so bad. Yeah. It, it was tipped on the line. It was tipped by the uh, defender. So okay. the ball, the ball okay. was going perfectly to a guy that was in loads of space. I don't think there was, was anyone. Elijah Moore, right? Yeah. yeah I don't I love... think there was anyone within 10 yards of him. It looked horrendous when you initially saw it. It reminded me of the um, Baker to Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick. Um, Fitzgerald. Um, for the Steelers a couple of years ago that was grim. But uh, we've just had some news out on Jack Conklin, which obviously is something we haven't touched on. He tore his ACL and MCL and will have season-ending surgery. Um, So that's one that's done, and he'll go to IR. His contract is guaranteed for next season as well. So people saying, oh, he'll retire. He's not going to retire and walk away from $13.85 Even if he came back and goes on pup next year, he's still getting that money. A guy I would keep an eye on is Dennis Kelly. Um, Pass was with the Colts and spent the preseason with, um, what's his name? Um, The Eagles and got released. Hasn't signed with the team yet. I don't think he is ever going to be one to go sit on a practice squad. Some will give him an opportunity. um, And I would not be shocked to see him in Cleveland by the time you listen to this podcast. Uh, Jack, bizarrely, I was driving past the airport earlier and I was thinking to myself, should I film this private jet landing? Because I could then send the video to Jack and Jack could say, this is my boy coming to land right now. But <laughs> some people would actually probably believe that and then uh, um, probably make bar stall or something crazy. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, and that sucks for Conklin because I know people see Dewan Jones, right? And listen, and he played pretty well, Okay. I'm not taking that away from him. I've said it before and I stick with it. Dewan Jones is taking meaningful snaps in his rookie year. It's something we have to keep an eye on. That's troublesome. And guess what? On Monday night, TJ Watt had three sacks week one. The Steelers defense looked shite, but TJ Watt did not look like shite. TJ Watt is a whole different animal than the guys he was blocking in in the preseason, right? So Dewan Jones is going to have his hands full if he's the starting right tackle against TJ Watt. You're going to see... Tight ends, you're going to see running backs. They are going to shift the line to protect Deshaun Watson from TJ Watt. That is a guaranteed. They're going to run the ball at him. They're going to do everything they can to hopefully get Dewan Jones to lay on him a few times. So it's something you definitely need to keep an eye out. And for all the people, listen, I get it. We look at contracts and we say, hey, Jack Conklin's injured here and there. At the end of the day, these guys are NFL players. And Jack Conklin is one of the nicer guys you'll find in the league, right? He's a show up to work kind of guy. Him and his wife have been nothing but positive for the Cleveland community. You just got to sometimes realize these guys aren't just transactional. Like losing Jack Conklin is a big deal. Yes. They drafted a guy in the fourth round for these type of things. And that's very good. That is smart GMing, right? But at the end of the day, we much rather would have Jack Conklin out there in week two over Dewan Jones. 
And that can't happen now because of a serious injury. And this is a guy who has spent a good part of the last three years going through medical rehabilitation. And I think sometimes we forget about the mental toll. You know, Blake talked about it a lot of times with the mental toll. You know, Paul, you mentioned to us about how many former players are still connected to Greg Williams. You know, these, these coaches, these players, you know, it's hard on them mentally. Think about Anthony Walker and what he's had to go through to get back on the field. This is their livelihood. And to know that this guy's now got to go through another entire, you know, six, eight, nine, ten months of rehab. I mean, that's brutal. And my heart goes out to Jack Conklin because, you know, it was just like the guy wants to get back to the norm that he knows and another injury now has set in. Yeah, just on that point, I didn't say about this on the show is that um, one, one story that Greg Williams did say that I can repeat is uh, he looked after a lot of single, he looked after 250 athlete, athletes and majority of them come from no dad families. And he said every year he gets 60 to 80 text messages from these guys. Um, and everyone that says bad things about him in the media, he always says he's a good guy. Well, you're talking about anyway, on, fa- on Father's Day. On Father's Day, that's yeah, on when Father's he gets Day. And, and Blake said the same thing. I mean, Blake told us he reaches out to how many different guys often checking in on them, seeing how they're doing, whether it's Kirko, whether it's Joe show, whether, you know, he was talking about Jannard Avery. I mean, these are guys that don't make hundreds of millions of dollars. And sometimes as fans, you know, we kind of move pieces on the chessboard, you know, like they're pawns, but at the end of the day, like we have to remember, like, you know, these guys, they, they put it all out there. They work hard. They bust their ass. You know, they're away from their families. I mean, the sacrifices they make to play in the NFL for the compensation is, is a lot. And a guy like Greg Williams here in that story, it doesn't surprise me because Greg asks a lot of his players, but in the same, he gets a lot in return. And Jim Schwartz is asking a lot of this defense and a guy like Zadaria Smith, right. Who had a very interesting story about, you know, his upbringing, a guy like Jim Schwartz says, I'll unlock potential you never knew you had, right? And that's what you start to see on the field. That's why a guy like Miles Garrett feels comfortable doing crossovers because he's now playing within himself. So, you know, we talked a little bit about the offense. That's a big injury, something we're going to have to watch moving forward. But Jack, the highlight of the game, no missed field goals? Did the specials, were they finally special? What, What can we say about the specials? The funny thing is my stream died and I had honestly thought we missed because the people tweeting, it was all very. Um... The chat, the chat we got right before the kick was, oh no. And I was so far delayed. I'm like, well, either miss this or there's an injury. Yeah. It, it, so it's very cryptic of like, nothing was positive about it. And I'm just like, surely not. Um, but no, D hop is money. Um, we've got one that actually works and it's actually worth his money. So uh, happy with that. And it's not a wide receiver. So, um, yeah, it's one that makes sense. Really keen to just see where it goes. And it was nice just not to worry. So, uh, happy days. Absolutely. My band Bojo, he wasn't affected by no stinking rain. 66 yard boomers, Bojo bombs. That's kicker kingdom, baby. Here we come. Dicker didn't miss any kicks for the for the Chargers. Hopkins didn't miss any kicks for the Browns. Man, it's almost like San Diego is like just developing kickers. They're like the Ohio State of wide receivers. Chargers kicker kingdoms, even though they couldn't get in field goal range to win against Miami. That's beside the point. Yeah, so it's one that, hey, everything was positive with the specials. Um, any, any, any return, any return blunders you want to critique? 
I've not really dug into it. Do do we have any like runs at the end zone? I don't. Uh, the opening kickoff for the Browns. Let's see. Well, the Bengals didn't do anything, so it was hard to charge. Yeah, we were all punt return, punt return, punt return. So other just... people, Jones was returning. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we obviously had the fumble by Jerome Ford, but in terms of returns, Donovan Peoples Jones had three punt returns for 15 yards, and we had no kickoff returns. And I've got no issue with so some people are like our oh, DPJ, we don't get enough in the return game. Literally every time he caught the ball, the players were already around him. So you could have the greatest returner ever. You could have Usain Bolt there. He ain't going nowhere because by the time he caught the ball, they already basically had one hand on him. So um, this idea that you should spend silly resources and a roster spot on a returner is a joke. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where punters now really focus on hang time. It really doesn't matter how far you can kick it because a lot of times you will literally outkick your coverage. So a lot of times now... We talked about this with the Scottish Hammer, you know, years ago. They want you to kick it 45 to 50 yards with a four-second hang time because they know their guys will surround the returner at 45 yards in four seconds. That is the number. They're saying, you get it high enough, we'll hold it, and we will halo the returner, and he will call the fair catch 95% of the time. And if they're stupid enough not to, start punching at the ball because there's more of the hands there than you have to hold it. So we give in the... uh what are we giving the specials? Giving them an eight? Didn't really do much bad, but they didn't really do a ton Nine. of good. Nine? Was there a return touchdown I was unaware of? Yeah. <laughs> I would not... want to give them a seven just because they do their job. And it's like... They, they didn't do anything right, but they didn't do anything wrong. So I guess if I can't do a seven because Paul gets upset, he might even fly back from Cleveland just to uh, like shout at me. Um, I'll go with an eight. Yep. Eight. Let's go with an eight then. They had, they had two returns, one for 27 yards, one for 18 yards. And they had three punt returns, giving up a long of 15. So, yeah, it's definitely not a nine. I would say it's an eight. I did notice uh, Greg Mewson out there with the uh, special teams. I mean, he's got to do something out there. No, just just kidding, Greg. Just kidding. Your number zero does creep me out a little bit. I think you should go back to 20. Is that right, I've, Jack? Or I've got the did I make a mistake? here for the core special teams unit. So the five guys that played the most snaps, we're talking 65% plus, were Ford at corner, Adams at linebacker, cornerback Mitchell, safety bell, linebacker Fields. And Fields was... Slightly less than the rest. I only played one snap on defense and then less than the others in terms of specials. And I'd have to guess when Jordan Kunisic is back, Fields after week one is the most likely man to be gone based on he had on lower snaps than um, all the other guys. So just, just want to uh, be aware. Who else of... is involved with special teams? Um. Rodney McLeod, Walker, Diabate, Strong, JOK, Taki Taki, Elliot, DPJ. Um, those were the guys that had over 30%. I didn't Newsom, see you asked. He did have nine special team snaps, so yeah. he was 29%. So he, he still played a fair amount. Um, Delpit had eight. There was lots of different people involved. It was a real mixed bag. That's good, don't it? Like the special team so broad across our... 
uh, offense and defense. Well, yeah, and you, you don't want to be relying on like one, two guys because that's where it goes wrong. Yeah, you want to have some diversity. You know, you want to bring different guys in there so they can do different things. Like Newsom running down and covering up a kick or something like that. It's not the end of the world, right? It's not going to be. It's not going to be crazy. Overall, it's good. The be- you know, Urban Meyer used to famously say the best thing about being one and zero is the chance to go two and zero. And the Browns have a little bit of a long week here now, going into the Monday night game. You know, obviously we have the Monday night game this week. Uh, tribute to nine eleven with uh, the New York Jets hosting the Buffalo Bills, which hopefully is a lot better game than the poop sandwich I watched last night where the New York Giants hosted the Dallas Cowboys. And in a very Brownsian-like way, channeling Brian Dayball's 2009 years with the Browns, a blocked kick return for a touchdown, a interception return for a touchdown, a fumble within the confines of your own uh, end zone return for a touchdown. Dak Prescott, after having a team score 40 points, did literally nothing, and shout out to Mike, my fantasy opponent that went down in a blaze of defeat. Dak Prescott scored eight points while Tua Tunga Viola was on his bench with damn near 50. So thank you, Mr. Colson, for the easy week one win. Yeah. No, it was just great day, great game, and now let's let's do it on Monday. Um, let's let's have it again. The, the, if this is rolling, we can go into a week five buyer with a 4 0 record. That's not nuts. The Ravens are losing everyone to injury. Uh, the Titans just suck. Um, Steelers, Steelers, and we roll. Paul, what's your plan to get to Pittsburgh? I know you're going to be there in the stadium. Yeah, so I'm just driving down to Columbus now. Uh, sorry for any audio issues. And then I'm going to be staying in the Mohican Treehouses for a few days. Cleveland, Wednesday till Sunday. Uh, Sunday night, I may go and stay out in uh, Lake Geneva. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Monday, leave uh, Cleveland around 10 o'clock and then get down there nice and early to Pittsburgh. Very nice. Very nice. Well, we'll la- we'll come back yeah. later in the week. Uh, maybe we'll do, Jack and I will do a short PFF show at some point whenever the grades come out. I think we kind of know who the good ones are going to be and who the bad ones are going to be. This shouldn't be record-breaking. Um, but other than that, we'll link up later in the week to talk about the, uh, the Brown Steelers game kind of up week two, starting two and zero in the division. That would be huge. Yeah. I can retire as a Browns fan. When I see the Browns beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh. There it is. I'm not going to, I'm not going to retire though, but, um, I, I just want to say a final thing. We'll close the show up unless anyone else wants to say anything else is, um, uh, Cleveland, it's been absolutely amazing two days so far. The amount of people that have come up and said, you're the, guy, you're the English guy on Twitter. Uh, thanks a lot for all your time. All I've got to say is make sure you listen to the podcast. And, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute great, great trip so far. One of my best trips so far. It's been absolutely 10 out of 10. There it is. Shout out to Cleveland. All right. Well, on that note, we're 1-0. Victory Monday. As Mike Petton famously said, the cigars taste better, the booze taste better, and what you guys do in your private time probably tastes better as well. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.